0: This is LAC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. This week we're going to talk about what it means to intercede when you pray. You know, I find a lot of times for myself anyway, that my prayers are very self-focused. I pray about what I need, what I want, what I'm feeling. But there's a whole nother dimension of prayer that focuses me to move the center of gravity away from me and on others. Have you ever been scrolling through social media and you see where someone that you care about, you, you're interested in, they, they have somebody that's sick or they're sick or they've been in a car wreck or whatever it is. Notice how many times people will just post praying. Now, call me cynical, but I think the word praying has become a social pleasantry that we just say praying. It lets them know we read it, but the question is, do we in fact pray? Do we in fact intercede for the needs of other people. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's bow our heads to pray. Now, Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach this message today because I believe it is so incredibly important. And I thank you for what you're about to do in this room because I believe that this moment is divinely ordered. And I pray for those who will step into prayer as an act of intercession on the behalf of other people. I pray for those who are watching online, those who will listen to a podcast in the days and weeks ahead, that your word will be strong enough this morning to penetrate our hearts and awaken us to how important it is that we pray one for another. And I pray for miracles in the room today. I pray for healing in the house today I pray for a healing and miracles online today God I pray that when somebody is hearing the word of the Lord in any of these platforms on social media on YouTube whatever wherever it is on a podcast you said in your word you sent your word and you healed them and I sense your presence and I, I pray God for that kind of miracle power In this house today, in the name of Jesus, and everybody says, amen. Now listen, don't forget, as you heard the announcement, next Sunday we're going to baptize in water. And uh, before I get started here, I just want to remind you that it's important for you, if you have given your heart to Christ, or you have made a fresh commitment to the Lord, that you be baptized again. I get sometimes asked that question, and I was baptized when I was a little girl, okay. But have you made a fresh commitment to Christ? Yes, okay, then get re-baptized. Water baptism doesn't save you, but what water baptism is, it is a testimony of an inward experience and what God has done in your heart and life. So if Jesus said to the church of Revelation, go back and do your first works over, if you have recommitted your life to God, sign up and be rebaptized in water. And I look forward to that next Sunday. It's going to be, Excuse me, two Sundays, the 29th. 29th. Okay. Let's start with a question. Do we, in fact, really believe in prayer? How many believe that. Let me see your hand. You really believe in prayer? Okay. The story is told of a, of a church that was very concerned when they heard that a local investor had bought the property next door to them and was planning to build a bar next to their church. It was going to be a nightclub. There was going to be gambling and drinking and partying and they were very concerned about it. And so they rallied everybody in their church to pray. They prayed against that. They stood there and pointed their hands at that property that that that, that would not happen. But despite their praying, the city council approved the permits and construction began and and the church just kept praying. They went to every zoning meeting, they went to every civic meeting, but they could not stop the decision to to, uh, erect this nightclub next door to their church. And so it was that on the day before they were supposed to publicly open that nightclub, that the day before, a large storm came in, lightning came, struck the building, it caught fire and burned to the ground. And the church was celebrating, they were just screaming and hollering and, celebrating because God had answered their prayer. It was a day of euphoria until the owner of the building sued the church, claiming that the church had in fact, let me read the words exactly, he claimed that the church was ultimately responsible for the material demise of my livelihood either through direct or indirect actions or means. At which point the church denied any culpability in what had happened. And the judge said, I'm in a real quandary here. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I have a bar owner who absolutely believes in the prayers of the church, and a church that doesn't even believe in its own prayers. Do we, in fact, believe in prayer? This story that Paul read to you is one of my favorite stories for a lot of reasons, much of which have nothing to do with this particular topic of prayer. But but I I look at this story and I see that it has a very tragic beginning, doesn't it? The Bible said this Canaanite woman comes out to where Jesus is and she cries out to him, Oh Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me, my daughter is grievous, the King James says, grievously vexed by a devil. The New Living Translation that he read said, my daughter's possessed by the devil. And, and, And so you have a girl, a young girl, maybe a teenage girl, who is being influenced and tormented by the devil. It's tragic. You also have a mother here who is completely overwhelmed by what's happening to her child. You hear the urgency and you hear the emotion of this mother who is crying out to Jesus on behalf of her daughter. And thirdly, this story is tragic because these two women represent so much of what goes on in the world today. Now if you sit in this service this morning and you don't think the devil is after your children, you're naïve. And if you don't think that the devil is walking the hallways of schools and public places where your children are, you're naive because the enemy is after your children. He's after that generation. It's why I believe he fights so hard against children and some of the things that we're seeing in the news. is because the enemy knows he's probably not going to get the old folks. But if he can get the children, he can stop praise to God. These children will not grow up to know the Lord. They will not grow up to serve Christ. And yet there are also mothers, adults who sit in this room today watching me online whose lives are tormented emotionally by all the things that are going on with their own children. I've talked to some of you. I've prayed with some of you. I've tried to remind you that you dedicated your children to the Lord and you trust the Lord that God has his hand on your children. But it doesn't change the fact of how difficult it must be to sit in this room and worship the Lord and know that your children don't know the Lord. Or worry about where they are or worry about what's going on in their life. It's just so emblematic of what happens in the world today. But the story has a very triumphant ending, doesn't it? Because the Bible said that after a a couple of things, there's a couple of funny things in here. You know, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, do something about her. She's driving us nuts back here with her screaming. And Jesus said, well, I wasn't sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she comes and falls before him. And he says, well, it wouldn't be right to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. I'm just saying. If Jesus called you a dog, you're probably going, okay, well, bless your little heart, I'm out of here. But she didn't. She came in worship and she said to him, why the puppies get to eat the crumbs that fall off the master's table. Now, again, in my mind, this is how I see this. Now, you, your Jesus may do this differently, but I see Jesus going, oh, my Lord, what faith you must have, woman. What faith, what tenacity, what persistence you have for your need. Here's what I'm telling you. You get whatever you want. That's what he said to her. Whatever it is that you want, whatever it is that you're longing for, whatever it is that you desire, you get what you want. I told Shelly last night, what Jesus did is he wrote her a spiritual blank check, didn't he? Whatever it is, you fill in the blanks. What would you do if Jesus did that to you? Here's a blank check. You can have whatever you want. You fill in the blanks. This mother needed her daughter to be healed. Now, she somehow or another got the Lord's attention. Don't you know that there were lots and lots of people? We we only know about this one. But everywhere Jesus went, Paul read this. Everywhere he went, sick people were coming. and, And people had needs. And people were always pulling at Jesus. But this woman got his attention. How did she do it? Because she was burdened about somebody else. You see, there's a dimension of prayer that you do not know until you become burdened about the needs for someone else. And that's the focus today. That when we pray, we pray because we are burdened about the needs of other people, something happens. To my praying when I get concerned about other people. I woke up early, early, early this morning. I wasn't up as early as Ed Johnson, but I was up early. Ed will, Ed, Ed will text me sometimes at the god-awful hours. I'm like, sleep, buddy. Can you just, just sleep? Just sleep. But I was up early this morning. You know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about my buddy, Sly Link. Sly lost his dad last week, and they just got back from Florida, and I was worried about him. And I thought about Doug Martin. He lost a father not too many days ago. And I thought about Jeff Thompson from our church who lost a father two nights ago. And my cry to God was, touch my brother's. Encourage my brothers. That's what I'm saying. There's something that happens to prayer. It's not about me in that moment. It's not about what I want. It's about this idea that there are people in my life and people that God has brought to my, to my, my attention that really need me to pray. Now, it's possible that you may feel completely powerless. Maybe that's the reason that we slough it off so much, but you may feel completely powerless to change and alter the circumstances of this world through your praying. You may feel that your prayer does not matter, but here's the fact. Listen to me this morning. People still need you to pray for them. People need you to pray for them. Lou Colburn sitting here this morning. Don't you think it encourages Lou when you say to him, Lou, I'm praying for you. You're not in this fight by yourself. We're praying for you. We're holding you up. When you say to somebody, I'm praying for you. And even if you don't say it, God wants you to be involved in praying for other people. More than you know, people do in fact believe in your prayers. Now for all the the crazy secularism going on in this world, you... You know what happened just a couple Monday nights ago at an NFL football game down in Cincinnati where a player heart stopped beating? You know what happened to all those people on their knees? The star quarterback of one of those teams was quoted just this week and saying, he said, I'm not much, I've not been much of a God fearer, but I'm telling you, when we started praying, I started feeling something out there. And all over this country, people have been praying and and they've been praying for this young man. And God has miraculously touched him and I think he's going to be all right. But the fact of the matter is people in America still believe in prayer. They may say they don't, but I'm going to tell you, when they get in trouble, guess what? They're calling on somebody to pray. Because they believe in prayer and people need us to pray for them. And God wants us to become a partner with Him in prayer. So when I started this series of messages, I wrote two questions on a piece of paper. Here's the first one. I think I put these in your notes. Why would God, the creator of the universe, need us to advocate or ask for things on behalf of other people? If God is the creator of the universe, if he owns everything, controls everything, why does he need me to be asking him for something on behalf of somebody else? Here was the second question. If God is in control of everything, why does he invite us to pray over things and people? You see, number one, God does not need our prayers to operate, Don't miss the point. God invites you to pray. But God doesn't necessarily need your prayers to get started. He's sovereign. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. He has all power. God's not sitting in heaven. He did not have an angel sitting over there going, how many people do we have praying yet? As soon as we get 36 people praying, he just doesn't do that. What God does do is because He made us to be rational, free-thinking people, He has invited us to be partners with Him in the story that is being written for humanity. We become intercessors. One man said it like this, We're not merely passive set pieces in a prearranged cosmic drama. I think we have this for the slide, Ethan. But we're active participants with God in the writing and directing design and action that unfolds. Prayer therefore is much more than asking God for this or that outcome. It draws us into communion with God and there take up our privileged role as people of prayer. You see the key is the communion that we have with That God invites you into communion with Him. He invites you to a relationship with Him in prayer that makes you a partner with God in prayer. I love this line by Walter Wink. He says, intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. So that when we are entering into prayer as an intercessor, we are in a spiritual defiance against the way, the things that have gotten in the way of what God has promised. It's like a mother refusing to give up on a rebellious child. It is a spiritual defiance that says, I'm not going to give up my child. I'm not going to give up my conviction, my belief that God is going to answer this prayer. It's the husband who refuses to accept the end of his marriage. Who defies the things that are in the way of what God has promised. It's the student, like some of you, who put the names of your parents and your family on a card the other day that sits over there in that jar believes that God somehow will intervene and bring your family member to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, prayer is not. Prayer is not you persuading or coercing an indecisive God. God's not like some politicians who sticks his finger up in the air and says, well, which way is the wind blowing? You're not trying to convince God of something he doesn't want to do. You're not going to persuade God against His sovereign will. But rather, what you have is a deep connection with God. Because He cares about this world. And He cares about the people of this world. And He wants you to care with Him about people. So prayer is not persuasion. But I'll tell you what prayer is. Prayer is a battle of wills. Now let me explain this. Prayer is a battle of competing wills. Some wills are bent in the direction of God's plan and some wills are bent directly in opposition to God's plan. It's kind of like if you're trying to inflate a mattress and somebody's on the other end sticking holes in the mattress, you have a competing of wills there. Many stories in the Bible that talk about this idea That as we pray, we are not praying against flesh and blood. We are praying against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. One of my prayers as I came in today, one of my prayers throughout this week, that as we intercede today, as we begin to step into a moment of intercession for the needs of our community and the needs of people, that our prayers would be like missiles that would penetrate the darkness and Penetrate the powers and principalities of this world that we would break through in our prayers to reach the heavens. Because the spiritual forces of this world are trying to hold back our prayers to prevent our prayers because listen to me brothers and sisters there is power in your prayer. There is power in your quiet time. There is power in the words that come out of your mouth. There is prayer, power in the prayer of intercession that you pray. And the devil doesn't like it, and the devil fights against it. And according to scripture, there are those occasions when, when uh, uh, angels, uh, false angels, demon angels actually held back the answer, trying to prevent God's plan. But God's people prayed through to the point where the answer came on the way. That's why I said to you a couple of weeks ago, You say, Oh, I've been praying a long time, just keep praying. Just keep praying. Don't give up, because if you keep praying, God will answer. God will intervene. God will, in fact, have the final word. Make no mistake. The God that we're praying to defeated death, hell, and the grave. He has all power, and there is no power like the power of God. So when we pray, we are praying to someone who can do what we're asking him to do. So I want to give you four simple things that can prepare you to be an intercessor for somebody or some, something besides yourself. How do you you prepare yourself to become an intercessor? We we have people in our church who believe that God has called them to be intercessors. They they have a gift from God, prayer of intercession. and, And I lean on them, I call on them. Some of you do as well. Now, sometimes intercessors can be different people. They can be different sometimes because they tend to to operate sometimes in in a mindset that's different from yours and mine. But they are powerfully, powerfully important to the health, the spiritual health of the body of Christ. But God wants everybody, not just those who feel a call to intercede, God wants everybody to intercede. God wants everybody to be praying for each other. There's something powerful about a church where we pray for one another. There's something powerful about being a part of a body that when I have a need, I know there are people that are ringing heaven on my behalf. You know, when I was, when I was sick back in the summer with COVID, I was pretty sick there for a while. I wasn't nearly as sick as Dustin Voorhees. If you don't believe it, ask Dustin how sick he was. He'll tell you. He and I and Katie were planning his funeral. Not quite. Not quite. But close. But when I was sick, I would get that text message from some of you, that, that reach that said, Hey, Pastor, Sorry you're sick. Pray for you. I accepted that you sincerely sent that. I'm sure that you did. And what it meant to me was that I am not forgotten in my struggle. Because you know what the devil does? Now, you know he does this because he does it to you. Nobody cares about you. Nobody's interested in you. You're out here by yourself. They say they care about you, but they don't care about you. And sometimes, sometimes we drop the ball. We do. I told you a moment ago, we're not a perfect church. Sometimes we drop the ball because we're human, but we do care. And one of the things that makes this a great church is this camaraderie and this feeling that there are, in fact, people who are praying. We have a a Facebook prayer page that we use, and we try to keep that updated, and there's 130 people on there from our church who who get these prayer requests and, and they pray. And there are others. There, there's prayer meetings that take place. Upstairs on Tuesdays and Thursdays, there's a, a group of intercessors and prayer leaders that come. And they go through cards, and they go through names, and they pray over all kinds of things in our area, in our community. We pray over every church in Lake County. We pray over the children of our church. We pray over seniors. We pray over everybody because we, we believe there's power in that kind of prayer. I want to be a part of a church that prays for one another. My wife needs me to pray for her. There are times when I just need to make sure she knows. The other day she said something about, I hope you're praying for me, and she was telling me what it was, and I said, sweetheart, I I pray for you every day. Every day of my life I'm praying for you. You you can count on the fact that every day I'm lifting you up to the Lord. Don't don't you think that's going to be an encouragement to her? To know that her husband is praying over her. And if you, have, if you have a spouse, you should let them know, I'm praying for you. Always praying for you. Your children need to know, I'm praying for you today. You go into school, I'm praying for you. There's something about knowing that somebody is interceding. So it's not just that there's a select group of people. There are people in our church who are gifted with intercession and they become a, a spiritual stabilization to our environment. But God wants everybody, every person looking at me right now, every person watching me right now, God wants you to pray for people. He wants you to pray for things. He wants you to pray for situations. And He pays attention to that. So here's four things to do, to prepare yourself to pray for other people and other things. Number one, get informed about what's going on. Get informed about what's going on. There are four prayers that I pray consistently. One of those prayers, Lord, help me be sensitive today to what is going on around me. Help me be sensitive to what's taking place. If I'm in a restaurant, Lord, help me to be sensitive. If there's a spiritual need, how many times have, have Shelly and I been out in the public place and, and run into somebody and you just sensed there was a need right then to pray. Lord, help me be sensitive to that. But help me be informed about what I'm praying about. Over the Christmas holidays and some dedicated time for prayer, I, just, I had this visual in my mind of, of a homeless man needing Lake Erie to help him. We, we have two leaders in our church who work with Project Hope here in Lake County of great, great ministry. Billy Walters on the board of directors, and Erica Shaw works on the staff at Hope at Project Hope. And I've been trying to research to understand how many homeless people are there in Lake County. You drive by the main drag there in Painesville in front of the in front of City Hall and all that. You'll see them sitting out there waiting for the bus. I've, I've driven by there and just let my mind pray as, as interceding for people who do not have a home to go to tonight. On a cold light night last night, thank God for Project Hope. Thank God there was a place, and there's other places as well. But that's just one that I'm connected to that I know about. But I, but I want to know so that I can pray effectively, that I can know how to pray over the homeless problem in Lake County. How many cancer patients in this county? We have a. Where's that blanket at? Did you bring it? We have a ministry here at our church. That is led by Stella Lamas. We make these blankets. This one's Ohio State, looks like. We don't do Michigan blankets, by the way, just in case you're wondering. We don't think God works in that way. But we, we make these blankets, and as, and as we recognize the need of someone, We take a blanket to them. I delivered one just last week to a lady in our community who's in the middle of a a cancer battle. This blanket was prayed over today by a prayer team in our church and will be going to a pastor who has a very serious illness. But see, when we get informed about what the needs are, then we can respond. And I'm telling you right now this morning, if I have anything to do with it, and I know this will not be a problem, we're going to do more blankets. We're going to touch more people. We're going to intercede more there. How many unwed teenage moms are there in Lake County? And how are we praying about that? How do we pray for and support and, and encourage? Well, there's a ministry here in our community called, is it Hannah's Home? Hannah's House? Over on Lakeshore Drive in Menor. And over the holidays, I reached out to the director and Shelly and I are going to be attending a function in a few days so that we can become more familiar. I know that our church has been involved in years past as she told me that there have been those occasions when Lake Erie has been involved with things. but, But what kind of strategies do we need to be praying about to help us be involved in those kind of projects? Here's one more. What about... What kind of strategies do we need to be praying about to get the saving message of Jesus to 120,000 unbelieving people in Lake County? You see, I know that God heals our headaches and I know that God touches our needs and I know that God supplies our need. but God wants our prayers to be larger than our own needs. God wants us to pray big prayers. He wants us to pray audacious prayers. He wants us to pray dangerous prayers. He wants us to pray for the needs that are around us. And right where we sit, if we're sensitive, if we allow the Holy Spirit, He will open up our eyes to ways that we can be a partner with God for the work of ministry. So get informed about what's going on. Second of all, get excited about the possibilities. Get excited about the possibilities of intercessory prayer. What happens when a whole church, a whole community decides to pray for the purposes of God? I mean, what happens if everybody in Madison starts praying the same prayers? What if everybody at Lake Erie would unite themselves together? You know when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2? What did the Bible say? They were in one mind and one accord. They were a united body. Pastor Jerome challenged us. We have to get together before we're going to be happy. And if somehow we can put our differences aside and quit fussing about stuff that doesn't matter and get our hearts bound together in a spirit of prayer and say, God, send revival to our town. Send revival to our children. Send revival into our community. Shake the foundations of this world. What happens when a church gets excited about the possibilities? What happens in your home when everybody in the house is centered on the need of our family? But if prayer becomes the centerpiece of how we function as a family. What happens in your own life? When you get serious. See, prayer is not an accessory like a necklace or a bracelet. Prayer is the heartbeat of your spiritual life. And without prayer, you won't function. You won't make it. You'll die on the vine until you start praying. And sincerely listening to the voice of God. When I was a young boy growing up in the suburbs of Charlotte, North Carolina, as a teenager. On Wilkinson Boulevard, a bunch of investors came in and they began to build these adult entertainment businesses. A variety of different kinds of businesses. And all apparently legal according to city ordinances. But filthy, sinful environments. And of course they were attractional. Because what sinners do is sin. Anybody out there? That's what sinners do. We get all upset about what sinners do. No, that's what sinners do. They sin. What was problematic was our sons and our daughters and our children were exploring and, and you'd, you'd hear the stories you know about fake IDs and you know children they would, they would you know, go in and they would raid them or whatever and they'd find these 16, 15, 16 year old boys and girls and it was a mess until a local pastor decided he'd had enough. And he started rallying everybody he knew to pray. And they began to intercede before the Lord. And he became an advocate. And he began to rally people. And he began to invite city fathers in. And they didn't do it in a way that drew attention to themselves necessarily. They weren't trying to be political. They were fighting against the forces that were after our children. And they began to pray and intercede. And over a period of several months and years, I watched business after business close down, close down, go out of business. The last time I drove by there, there's a series of restaurants and hotels sitting in that place. You know why? Because somebody decided they were going to pray. Somebody decided they were going to intercede because there was a God in heaven who moves at the movement of God's people to pray and intercede. What happens to this world, when we begin to pray, listen to what the Bible said. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their lands. That's the promise of God to this church, to this body. Get excited about the fact that when we pray, God moves, when we pray, things happen. Here's the third one. Get engaged with your heart. There's a strange thing that happens to you when you really lay hold of God's promises. And you begin to see God's intended future for a contested person or place. Now listen to what I'm saying. There is a point at which you cannot any longer pray A polite, proper prayer. Sometimes you have to get indignant. Anybody know what I mean this morning? Sometimes you have to get to a point where you say, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm not giving any more ground over to the devil. I'm not giving any more space over in my house. I'm not giving any more space over in my mind. I'm not allowing myself to go there. I'm indignant and I'm going to pray through about this. I feel the holy presence of God in this room. I think God's trying to help us today. You see, I'm calling on our church to be motivated and energized. By this idea that when, as the old timers would say, when we ring the prayer bells of heaven, things are going to happen. around. We can be the church. We talk about this. We want to be the church God called us. It starts on our knees. It starts when we pray and we intercede. What if we got truly motivated at Lake Erie to pray about a world where sin is celebrated and holy living is discounted. Does that not frustrate you? Does it not frustrate you that you live in a world where darkness is considered light and light is considered darkness? And people who stand for holiness and holy living are ridiculed for the way that they stand as out of touch. And people who commit sin are celebrated and elevated as idols to our children. At some point, we have to stand up and say, God, I'm indignant about what's happening in this world around me. And I'm not trying to make anybody mad, but I'm saying as long as we stay on the sidelines, the devil's just going to play. He's just going to play, but greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. Mighty is the God that we serve, and He calls us to get on the front lines and begin to pray to the heavens. Woo. I don't know if I'm supposed to get this excited on Sunday morning, but I'm feeling pretty good. What if we, what if we spared a few minutes? To pray about children being trafficked, trafficked and exploited for sex. That's gonna sound really harsh. I bet your prayer would be different if it was your child. I bet the energy and passion of your praying would be different if it was your daughter. But it's somebody's daughter. It's somebody's son. And we need to pray. We stand in a time where God is calling us to become partners with Him in this world. To engage ourselves in the work of God and the ministry. Here's the fourth and final one. Get into agreement with other saints. Now I know I know it is possible to pray well by yourself. I do a lot of praying by myself. But there is something so powerful about praying together. And I don't know why we don't do more of that. We we will say we're too busy. Are we really that busy? That we can't bind together as a body and pray? You know, when we, when we say, everybody says amen, you know what that means? It means we're in agreement. The word amen means we agree. We agree with what was said. We agree with what was done. Amen. Well, in the heavens, there's something powerful about the amen of a body that is expressing its agreement together. It's not just me, God. It's us. We stand together as a body, and we are a people, and we are praying together. It's why corporate prayer is so important. It's why prayer rooms are so needed in our church. Anybody old enough to remember when we used to come early to church so we could pray? I remember that. Men used to meet on one side. Women met on the other side. Church started at 6 o'clock. We met in prayer room at 5 o'clock and we prayed. And the glory of God would fall in those rooms and we'd literally come out of those rooms on fire for God. There is a unique power that is vested in a united intercession of God's people. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit ErieChurch.com.